The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. For our TV and streaming tonight, Joe Shea has been joined by Sarah McGuinness. Now, Sarah, I'm going to start with you because I want you to explain this modern day phenomenon, which apparently is increasing in numbers. And it's a bit of a bugbear for me as an old fella. But this thing about watching television with the subtitles on, watching not foreign language programmes, but programmes in the English language. I am so guilty of this. I'm actually embarrassed to say how guilty I am of it. If I'm watching something by myself, the subtitles will be on. It won't be if I'm like watching Love Island with my mom. But anyway, I'm not alone. It turns out that Netflix has revealed a couple of weeks ago that 40% of its global users have subtitles on all the time, while 80% switch them on at least once a month. And I read that and I thought, God, that seems really high. But then I thought about my own viewing experience and... I am a perpetrator. It's nothing to do with language barriers. It's very, very small percent of it is to do with hearing impairment. It's out of laziness. It's particularly staggering among younger people, Gen Z, which I am a part of, unfortunately. For the age grouping? Um, 18 to about 25, 26. Um, yeah. Four out of five viewers watch subtitles all or part of the time. Um, and only a quarter of those aged between 56 and 75 do. So it's just... It, is a generational thing. It can't be avoided. And sorry, when you do have the subtitles on and when you switch the television off, do you turn the subtitles off as well so that the person coming to use the television after you might be going to say, turn on a match just to kick off time and suddenly discovers because somebody has left the subtitles on that uh, they're now fiddling around with their remote control trying to get the subtitles off for the first few minutes of the match. Subtitles that are about 10 seconds behind the action on the pitch. Oh God, no. Why would I? Joe Shea, what do you make as you young people and their subtitles. Well, I actually do it myself, Matt. Ah, come on, Joe. I do. Oh, I do, yeah. You fit into the I, older category and, this, and, we yeah. just heard about from Sarah. Yeah. Spring chicken, Joe. Don't mind I didn't even, even realise this until I saw you posting about it on Twitter today. But yeah, I do it. And weirdly, it started off because I have a young daughter and I read somewhere that for kids, turning on the subtitles in English is great for them if they're going to be watching you know, kids' shows on Netflix or on CBBS or whatever. That actually helps them with their reading skills. So I thought that made sense. So I thought started turning on the subtitles for my daughter then I kind of kept leaving them on of course because you kind of forget to disable them and switch them off but I actually I watch dramas now on streaming I'll watch them with, with the subtitles on because my my hearing has been very badly affected for a long time mainly due, due to going to gigs a lot of gigs and also uh, working on building sites when I was a kid or when I was younger and uh, with no ear defenders and all that kind of stuff so my hearing is pretty bad but also it's I've noticed like in the past few years and, and people have said this about a lot of shows including I think Paul Dark uh, got into major trouble on the BBC a lot of the audio on, on, on these big dramas you can't understand it there's a lot of mumbling goes on and I was doing a lot of kind of dialing back to see what did he just say who said that what's you know so I find with subtitles it kind of helps me it's more of a comfort thing it helps me watch it helps me keep up what's going on Okay a lot of listener comments coming in this listener says I've hearing issues and can't watch TV other way I love titles, subtitles 50 year old yeah but I, that makes sense if you have a hearing issue that you would actually do it. Uh, you might find the older generation aren't able to switch the subtitles on or off oh. and they'd use them otherwise. <laughs> I get lost in the settings. I'm in the older category, says that listener. Another one says subtitles on for the English language programmes because of 
bad diction, bad scripting, bad editing. Background music is actually foreground foreground music. Bad acting. Did I mention bad diction? And Aidan says, and I'm not a young fella, right? Another one says, I'm 48. I always put the subtitles on a lot as I can't understand the accents. And another one says, as a primary teacher, I encourage parents of reluctant readers to put the subtitles on because it helps with their reading. Yeah, that's, and that's what I heard and that's the reason why I started doing it. But I remember started watching the, uh, went back and watched a bit of The Wire recently or one of the, and I, actually with the subtitles on you can understand way more what's going on because, you know, these are very, uh, very difficult Baltimore accents if you're doing Boston accents or, you know, even with English language, subtitles make a lot of sense. I'm fair to say probably a few of our TDs as well that could probably do with <laughs> subtitles when they appear on programmes. Yeah. Yeah, we're not mentioning any names. No. Another listener says subtitles help for comprehension it's a matter of choice. I'm also in the older category. It helps understand what the characters are saying. Sometimes the music is loud and then you can't hear the characters. Yes, a lot of mumbling at times, as the other commentator said. But doesn't it get in the way, Sarah, the pictures a lot of the time? I mean, particularly if you leave the subtitles on during sport, which I don't. But it gets in the way of the ball at times. No, I do. Do you know what? I've, I've decided it's a habit I'm going to break. I The more I think about it, the more I disagree with it. Obviously, that's coming from a place of, you know, I'm a grown woman who knows how to read and I don't have any hearing impairments. But yeah, like not even that. Like one series I really noticed it with was Mindhunter. I was absolutely bet into Mindhunter but then like it would be a very intense moment and they'd try to relay that in the subtitles and it was just so literal and dry that I found it sucked me out because I was thinking that's funny and it's actually that's actually something that TV shows are playing into now and Stranger Things for example are one really good example of that like they there was one subtitle that said tentacles undulating undulating moistly and obviously (laughs) someone took a screenshot of that and it went viral so you know it's it can be clever and while like I think that that's very funny. I think for serious dramas such as the likes of Mindhunter, there was another instance um, in Breaking Bad and the subtitle was Intensity Intensifies. That's hilarious, <laughs> but it clearly breaks the moment. Um, so I think when I'm watching my hard-hitting blockbusters, subtitles off from now on. OK, this is an extraordinary reaction from listeners to this. Uh, this seems to be a major thing for a lot of people. Another one says, I have to watch Brassic with the subtitles on because it's so fast and it's so funny. You don't want to miss a thing. I'm over the age of 50. Uh, I put on the subtitles as it forced me to put the phone down and concentrate on what's happening on the screen. But the, that was actually a thing, particularly that study that found four out of five people between the ages of 18 and 25. Young people are actually using it as a way of keeping on the phone. So they can just glance up and it's nearly like they can quickly read what the character is about to say and then they don't have to like pay attention to how the line is actually delivered. They can go back to the phone and I think to be honest that's why I've gotten into the habit of it. Okay, another listener says, I wonder will they ever bring them in in the cinema? Actually, why would you need them in the cinema? The surround sound is usually blasting out whenever you go to the cinema. Another listener says, completely agree with Joe, used them when I watched The Wire, got much more out of it by doing so. Okay, and actually, there's there's so many coming in here on this one. Uh, I'm a secondary school teacher. It drives me mad. We can't watch anything in school without the subtitles. Also, Netflix or Disney Plus do not have Ukrainian in the subtitles. Now, that would be helpful with our new students from Ukraine. Okay, picks of the week. Um, We have little trailers from each of these as well. Um, I'm going to play the trailer from Gunter's Millions. And Joe, you can tell us about that then. What would you think if I told you a story about a very wealthy countess 
When she died, she gave everything to her dog, Gunther. You're talking about a dog that's worth $400 million. Oh, it's a true story. I work for the dog. Gunther owns a yacht, several properties in Italy. 27 employees. I wanted to be a tick on that dog's ass for the rest of my life. A man pulling the strings of this puppy show. He's a visionary. This dog was my best friend. Maurizio Mia. He wanted young people who were fantastic looking to live with a rich dog. Are you, are you crazy? As long as we resided in the mansion with Gunther, we're going to just enjoy the millions. It got a little bit twisted. Joe, what is that? <laughs> now, uh, listen, I'll do my best. It's a new four-part series on, on, on Netflix. And uh, imagine Euro Trash meets Tiger King meets Bunga Bunga in a villa in, in, in Italy, right? It, it's, it's a crazy premise for a story. In fact, so crazy that, well, I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But basically, the, the core story is a very, very rich countess died uh, in the 90s and left £400 million to a... German Shepherd called Gunther. Gunther the German Shepherd then had to guess his entourage because you need people when you've got that amount of money. And so he uh, he had something like 25 people working for him. Business managers, PR people, dog handlers, walkers. chefs, dog walkers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, um, and, and crazy things started to happen. For instance, Gunther the German Shepherd bought Madonna's old house uh, for $7.5 million. He has a, <laughs> fulfilling yeah. a lifetime ambition. Exactly, for Gunther. Yeah, it was a big day for Gunther there. And... Um, and he also travels everywhere by yacht and, and jet. Now, remember, this is in the 1990s. We are now on Gunther Mark VI. Gunther VI is, is a, the descendant of Gunther I. And it's all controlled by a guy called Maurizio Mian, who is... Oh God, it, like some guy out again out of some crazy tale right this this story has everything it has the mafia it has celebrity chefs professional women's football uh, double crossing businessmen like and dogs and dogs (laughs) and dogs and Gunther at the centre of it it's 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 on Netflix from from uh, Tuesday it's right. a four-part, four-hour documentary. And like I said, it's either going to be fantastic or utterly unwatchable, but I think it's going to be a really, really big hit. OK, what's your pick, please, Sarah? Um, so my pick is um, one of two double whammy um truth-telling epiphanies um, to be released by Pamela Anderson tomorrow. It's a Netflix documentary, Pamela, A Love Story. I am so excited for it. Um there's Hold on, you're way too young to be a Pamela Anderson fan, aren't never you? Never too young to be a Pamela Anderson. Did you watch Anderson. Baywatch reruns or something as you were growing up? Um, maybe. I just, I really, I really like her. And to be honest, Pam and Tommy probably played a huge role in that. I watched the first episode of Pam and Tommy was on Disney Plus. Hated it. Good. And it then was rubbish. It was yeah, crap. It was rubbish. And then I heard that um, they hadn't consulted Pamela Anderson about her side of it at all. And then I, I took a moral stand and I said, I'm not watching that crap. Sebastian Stan looks like he's dressed in a Halloween costume. It's terrible. Um, but basically on the back of this, shortly after that was released, Pamela came out and said, I'm going to tell my own side of the story in my own way. Well, let's actually hear a little bit of the trailer. I didn't sleep last night at all. If anybody's watching this, go to hell. I blocked that stolen tape out of my life in order to survive. And now that it's all coming up again, I feel sick. I want to take control of the narrative for the first time. I don't think people consider her the owner of her own image. It's Pamela Anderson. 
public property. I didn't feel like I had a lot of respect. Would you want to be a serious actress? I am a serious actress. <laughs> to make a career out of the pieces left. But I'm not the damsel in distress. I put myself in crazy situations and <laughs> survived them. Apparently she's bringing out an autobiography in April as well to go with this. Yeah, so it's like a kind of a two-parter. So the um, documentary is Pamela, A Love Story and then the biography is Love, Pamela and apparently it's stunningly written. Uh, but Sounds a bit like this is the American version of Harry Wales and his book Spare. I know, but I think it's going to be way more powerful than that and not nearly as weird. Um, but Brandon oh. Thomas Lee, her son with Tommy Lee, is um, has produced it. Um, and yeah, like the trailer does kind of say it all. Like really, when you look back at it, she was so heavily objectified. She kind of just went along with it because that's what she thought her career was. They're trying to spin it in a way that she did for the greater good and her advo- um, like her activism work with PETA and all them. I don't know if I'd go that far, but um, yeah, it it really does seem very empowering. She's so stripped back in it. It seems very raw. Um, and when is that available and where? That's on Netflix from tomorrow. Okay, thank you very much, Sarah McGuinness and Joe Shea. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.